call to worship today is from Psalm 147. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem, he gathers the outcasts of Israel. Great is our Lord, and abundant in power, his understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble, he casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make a melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares the rain for the earth. He makes the grass grow on the hills. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Let us praise the name of the Lord. Let us trust in his steadfast love. Let us praise the name of the Lord. Let us trust in his steadfast love. Come every soul by sin, oppressors, mercy with the Lord. 
us pray. Father, we come this morning to hear your voice, the voice that gathered the waters and made dry land appear, the voice that brought forth every plant yielding seed and tree bearing fruit, the voice that set the lights in the heavens, the sun to rule by day and the moon to rule by night, the voice that filled the earth with life and declared it good, the voice that gave us the breath of life and blessed us. This morning, Lord, let us hear your voice speak to us anew. Let those of us who need a tender word to buoy our crushed spirits wait on your tender, low whisper. Let those of us who hearts, whose hearts are filled with gladness join our voices with the saints and place our joy in you. Father, some of us long for your voice by whose power the sick are healed and the blind are given sight. Let those of us who feel the weight of injustice and the pain of suffering know the voice that breaks the cedars and shakes the wilderness. By the power of your spirit, Lord, let all of us hear the voice that calls us daughters and sons and calls us home to live with you as your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Children are dismissed for children's worship. now continue with a time of confession. We will do so together with word and then through song and then have a time for silent personal confession. This is what God told his people. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must not have any other God but me. We thank you for your word but confess we are often callous to our rescue and your call to worship you alone. We run after wealth and pleasure, struggling to take care of ourselves instead of looking to you for peace and satisfaction, Lord. Forgive us for putting other things before you and help us trust you.
please take a moment for silent personal confession. Father, we confess that in our loneliness, we often seek our own glory, forget others, and turn from you. Lord, we thank you that you have not and will not forsake us, that you stand ready to embrace us when we call upon your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, please stand for the words of assurance. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God with mankind. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. As we have been welcomed, let us welcome one another. Well, with my soul. 
Today's gospel lesson is John 15, verses 1 through 13. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in, in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever, whoever abides in me and I in, I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and, I, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone may lay down his life for his friends. This is the word of the Lord.
you, Sam, for reading. Um, good morning. It's good to worship with you. And you'll see uh, there's a note in your order that we're going to begin a new uh, sermon series for the fall. And uh, we'll look at this over the next coming weeks. But the series is titled Known and Loved. And we're uh, considering we're going to look at both Old Testament and New Testament passages to explore our, our human experience um, of disconnection or of being apart. And then also the God's answer in uh, Christ that we can be known that we are loved and that these promises of the gospel speak uh, to who we are. And so uh, this morning we'll begin by looking at a passage from Genesis and one from the end of Revelation as well. But before I read those for us, I want to mention or open by mentioning a scene from uh, Harry Potter. I believe it's the fourth book. Maybe some of you out there will correct me if I have it in incorrect, but uh, I think it's the Quidditch, Quidditch World Cup and uh, Harry Potter is joining the Weasley family on an outing to see this event. And there is a kind of a, a group of people, maybe six to eight, that are together, and they are planning on staying in a tent uh, near this um, sporting event. And as they approach the tent, uh, Harry is immediately concerned because the tent is very small, maybe big enough for one person, maybe maybe two. Maybe you can, maybe you're familiar with the scene, but the, the group walks into the tent. All eight people go into the tent, and Harry's the last one to enter. And he enters at the last, and he sees that the inside of the tent is larger than the outside. The inside has a large living space that people can find their own chairs, their own rooms, and comfortably be for the whole group. Harry's response to going into the tent and seeing that it's larger on the inside than on the outside is to say, I love magic. I love magic. I share that image because I think it's, it's helpful probably for a number of things, maybe to, to apply, but I think it's especially helpful to think about the life of faith. We have different experiences, and it's possible that when faith is thought about, when Christianity is thought about, it's understood as reducing your world, making your world smaller, but the opposite is the case. Faith in Christ is like stepping into something that is much larger, that is vast, beyond what maybe we even expected or imagined. This is part of the wonder of the gospel that when we enter into it in faith, it gives us a much larger view of who God is, who we are, who our neighbors are, even what this life and this world is. And I, we, want, we get a sense of this broadening, this vastness of the faith by seeing how the story begins and ends in Scripture. And so we're going to look at two passages today, one from Genesis 1 and one from Revelation 21. In many ways, they are biblical bookends, bookends that invite us into this larger story, the larger understanding of who God is and, and its significance of being attached to this God. In Genesis, we'll hear that the start of the story that a communal God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, makes a creation with deep and fundamental connections. In the middle of this creation of connections, God makes humans, and God enters into a special relationship with them. That being human from the very beginning is being known and being loved. Living in connection with God and ourselves, with others, and creation. And with scripture opening in this way, it makes sense that this vision would come back at the end, the final chapters of the Bible. 
where we see that the Bible is headed to a new creation made by God. In this new heaven and new earth, there is the full removal of sin and suffering and injustice and the full renewal of relationship and connection. One day God will dwell with us fully and God will tenderly wipe away every tear from our eyes. Today we live between these two bookends. We live in the middle of the story. And I want to suggest that remembering the beginning helps us remember who God is and his promise and our purpose. And remembering the end, how the good ending arrives, helps direct our hearts and prayers, helps us to navigate life's expectations, and helps us hold on to hope. So we're going to look at the beginning and the end as a way for us to encounter again the vastness of who God is and what he's inviting us into. So let's look at our passages. You can follow in your order or in your Bible. We're going to read Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and then Revelation 21, 1 through 6. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then a revelation passage. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with mankind. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is God's word, and given for our good. Well, as I mentioned, these are like biblical bookends that help us see the story of who God is. And so this morning, we're going to look at two parts. We'll look at the beginning, the, the Genesis passage, and then we'll look at the end, the Revelation passage. And I hope that we can consider how these speak to who God is and, and who we are as well. So look at, let's look at Genesis and right away, we're invited to see God in relationship with his creation, that he and creation are bound together. This is the presupposition for everything that follows in the Bible. It's the deepest premise from which good news is possible, that there is this binding together, a mystery established by God, and that it cannot be nullified. How does God establish this relationship with his creation? It's by his word. It's by speaking. 
And this is a characteristic of who God is, that God speaks, and by his word he creates and he relates. We see that in our passage, that God said, let us make mankind in our image, after our likeness. And then after forming them, God blessed the man and woman, and he speaks to them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This speaking captures a theme that runs throughout scripture, but especially in these opening chapters. God creates the world by his word. Let there be light. And with the word, God pronounces creation good. He converses with human beings through his word. He teaches the first humans to name the animals. Connecting our stewarding role, our purpose with our speaking, our communication. Bearing God's image, we are people of communication and relationship. Made to know God and be known by God. So God establishes a relationship, a binding together of the world with him by his word. And what is the purpose in his creating? Why does God speak us, speak his creation into existence? There's a couple things I want us to think about this morning. And the, the first one is that God creates, God speaks out of delight. It is for delight that all creation is characterized by delight. How does that strike you? If you're like me, that can be surprising to me. Maybe we assume or we feel that we're insignificant, of no concern or even a problem that needs to be taken care of. But all over scripture, God is described as delighting in his creation. In the persons that he has made, God delights. God is described as delighting in us. And we can en enjoin the psalmist, as the, the psalmist writes, The Lord my God brought me into a broad place, into a, a safe place. He rescued me because he delights in me. The Bible uses two Hebrew terms to de describe God's delight. One being this idea of bending towards someone or kind of inclining yourself towards an object or a person. And the other word is to take pleasure in. And together these words express the deep meaning of, of God's delight in you and me. He's pleased. Enjoys. God is drawn toward, has affection for us. We see this delight, this affection when we read that God blessed the first humans. He offered them his blessing. And we see also this the delight of God in the New Testament when he speaks of Jesus at Jesus' baptism and at the transfiguration. God pronounces for all to hear, this is my beloved son in whom I am pleased. In him I delight. So God speaks you and me speaks his creation into existence for the purpose of delight. And the, the second thing I want us to see, the other purpose is for the joy of communion. For joy. The joy of deep connection. 
One of the key aspects of this joy of communion is the idea of harmony in the midst of different voices. Maybe imagine with me, we can picture you know, a, a diverse group of people coming together to, to create something together. Maybe we can think of an orchestra playing different instruments or, or a choir, different voices coming together. We can think of a sports team. We can think of a group of workers you know, creating or accomplishing a project. We can think of a family sitting together for a meal or an event. A unity of distinct and diverse persons. This is how Genesis pictures creation. And it suggests to us that God delights and finds joy in such communion. See, in Genesis, there is both the closeness and the distance between the creator and the creation. They're in relationship, but they are distinct. The humans are entrusted with a calling by the creator, not simply to be workers, but to go forth as stewards, as agents, as participants in what God is doing, what God has given to them. And even amongst the human family, there is both a singular and a plural. Maybe you notice our passage, it reads in this interesting formulation that God created him and God created them. This formulation highlighting both our singular personhood, that God makes you, but also from the very beginning that God creates us in relationship as humans with one another. That it suggests that the primary way that we live out bearing God's image to the world is through how we relate to one another. The communion that we bear in family or in church, at school or work, or in our neighborhood. It's, it's in this context of a joy of communion, of, of, of seeing ourselves connected to others, that such things as greed or lust, infidelity or pride or anger, they, they move from just kind of random sins to seeing that they are fundamentally things that break apart and separate what God has formed. They are sins, but God declares, because they break apart, they disrupt the, the delight and the joy of communion. We can think, right, of the sections of the orchestra becoming separate from one another. And even in those separate sections, like the different chairs fighting with each other about how things should be played. We can picture a big fight taking place right there at Symphony Hall, right? But we don't have to think that hard about that type of separation, right, or fighting. We all have experienced it. Maybe not in the orchestra, but we know what it's like in our family. Maybe at work or with our neighbors, and place that could be a place of connection and of joy becomes one of separation, of disconnection. And we know that such things, such realities, such separation and isolation brings things like tears and hurt and pain and mourning. It awakens in us, if you're like me, it awakens in us a deep aching, a deep longing for things to be different. 
It is in this condition that our hope rests on God's faithful commitment. Our hope rests on God, the one who spoke us into existence, maintaining that relationship. On the God who can bind up what is broken. So we need to remember this promise and we need to remember not just how the story begins, but where it's headed. And that brings us to the Revelation passage. These are bookend passages, and there's many ways that Revelation echoes what happens in Genesis 1. There's a number of parallels, and we see again that the word creates. God announces a new creation. Behold, I make all things new. Again, the fundamental work of this creative speech is to form a new community, to bring back together the things that had separated And again, at the center of this word and what God is doing is is God himself. God is present. God is with his people. And that's the key to this final vision, that separation has been overcome, that God announces that he will dwell with humans, that humans will be with him, he will be with them, that he will be their God, and they will be his people. All language that says that separation is not the end, but God is bringing back together the very purpose that we have, the joy of union and presence with him. To help us try to grasp this, John doesn't go into all the details right at first of what the new creation is. He speaks more about it later in chapter 22. But here, he rather focuses on what we might call the capital city of the new creation, the holy and new Jerusalem. It's a way of describing what this new creation is like. He says here in that city, God dwells, God tabernacles, God is present with his people. And it's here that the loud voice declares, God is with us. And and to try to grasp like the significance of how that changes everything, New Jerusalem is described as a bride walking to her husband. Suddenly this kind of geography, this map of a city turns into a wedding ceremony to try to help us grasp the intimacy, the the significance, the the new connections that are happening. The bride, the church, those who are being rescued and restored are like a bride prepared and adorned by Christ. And this wedding ceremony begins, and from this time on, the bride and the groom will be together an intimate union, fully present with one another to know and to be known. And so Revelation 21 invites us to imagine uh, a marriage banquet, a wedding reception. Maybe you can picture a reception that you've been to at some point or maybe your own or one that you went to for a family member or a friend invites us to picture for a moment the the sharing of a meal, a great meal, one that's been prepared well at a nice table. Think with me about this, that sharing a meal, right, sharing a meal is different than other activities that you're going to do probably today or this week. If we do something with somebody else, work on a project, maybe watch a concert or an event, TV show, or go for a walk, 
These are things that we normally do side by side with one another. Looking at the, the entertainment, looking at the project, looking at what we're doing. How, how is a meal different from that? Right? When you share a meal, the idea is that you're sitting together at a table, face to face, turned towards each other. This is the image of what the new creation is like, sitting and seeing one another with God present with us. But sitting face to face right away, if you're, if you're like me, that image also brings to mind all the things that need to be changed. All the ways that things are disrupted. Right, we live in a very busy and distracted world. It's hard. It's hard to sit down and have a meal with somebody because things are busy. And we're often distracted. But this image speaks to something deeper than these challenges. More, something more than just busyness or distractions happening. It invites us to feel the, the shame that we have. We are made to be seen and made to be known. But how often is it that we turn our faces from each other? Sitting face to face can remind us of what is wrong, who we are or who we are not, how we've been treated or how we have treated others. And if we're honest, if we really fully enter in, the image of sitting and face to face with another person can awaken in us the ache or the longing for things to be different. When we are in guilt, when we feel guilty, when we feel kind of a godly distress that we repent of, when we seek forgiveness, we move towards another person. But when we are ashamed, when we are in shame over what has happened in our life, I turn my face away. I hide and I need someone to come and find me. I need someone to come and find me. And therefore, it is good news that our God is a God who seeks us. Our God is a God who pursues the ones in whom he delights. Even when we hide or can't imagine being seen. The image of this table, the image of the wedding feast, it invites us to see that in his delight, in his love, our creator draws near to us to bear our sin, to face our shame, and to even lay down his life for us. Our God is the God who in Jesus says to us, turn your face toward me that I may wipe away your tears. Turn your face toward me and let me wipe away your tears. In this story, disconnection and isolation are acknowledged. In Christ, new connection is established and secure. And new creation is started within us. And there is the promise that it will be completed. This ending tells us today that shame will not have the final word in our life. 
that fear or mistreatment or guilt, they won't be the final words in your life or in God's world either. And here is the good news. God's promise in making all things new, of restoring all that is broken and separated, will be fulfilled. Christ has died and has risen and is exalted to the highest place, assuring us that the good work that started in us in Christ will be completed. And if you're like me, then we, we need this reminder. We need this direction and assurance. Because we might not see it now. We might not even be able to imagine it being possible. It might be too painful to imagine certain areas of our life being made new. But our God is the God who lifts up the fallen, who binds up the brokenhearted, who gathers the fearful and the lonely under his wings. Our God is the one who speaks to us in Christ, my beloved, my daughter, my son, my new creation, my friend, and my bride. In Jesus, we're invited into a vast world, well beyond the resources that we can bring to the table. A vast world well beyond what we can kind of put together ourselves or what we can even imagine. We're invited into a world in which God delights, the creator of heaven and earth delights in making you. And for his joy, bear the cross in our shame to connect us again to him and to one another. This is the good news of the gospel. As we rest upon it, it opens our hearts to a new life, one beyond ourselves. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you, Lord, that you are good, that you did not leave us on our own, but drew near to us, calling us to turn our face to you. We ask that you would meet us in wherever we are this day and give us good news and hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stronger hands stretch forth to shield us.
Almighty God, you have not given us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. We praise you for your never-ending faithfulness as we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. This table that, that Christ instituted on the night that he was betrayed is, is points to the, the feast, the banquet that we hear about in Revelation 21. The meal of new creation, where all that is separated is reconnected. All that is broken is made whole. The former things have passed away. The new has come. This table points to that promise, and it points by telling us that it was through Christ's broken body and shed blood that such new creation begins, and it's by Christ that new creation will arrive. The hope is not in what you and I can contribute to the meal, but the hope is that God will bring things to a good end. So this meal points to the future, but it also speaks to us now that our place in that family, the, the new creation at work in us, our place at this table is because of God's love for you. God sees us and knows us. He draws near to us, and Christ in his body bears our sin, our mistreatment, and our death, that we will be not alone, but that we be reconciled to God and to one another. Today, as we eat this meal together, we look ahead to the new creation. We remember a God who has moved towards us, reconciling us to him and to one another. This is the table of good news, the promise that we're not alone, and the promise of where the story ends. If you are a believer, if you have faith in Christ, if you know of your sin before God and need for his care and mercy, then come and eat and drink. Be nourished by the Spirit of God. If you're not a follower of Christ, if you have not put your faith in him, let this table be an invitation, a witness to come into a world that is vast, into a life that is beyond you and your resources, into the life of God.
the life of God's delight in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table. We thank you how it is a reminder to us in the midst of many demands, in the midst of all sorts of busyness and many voices. It reminds us of who we are in Christ. It reminds us of you, God, and the promise that you have to make all things new. We pray, Lord, that we would hold on to this truth that we are bound to you in Christ by your grace, that that would tell us who we are as we go forth this day and throughout this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I invite you to come down to center aisle and receive the bread and the cup, and you can go back on the sides. I ask if you're able that you would hold the elements until everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not taking communion this morning, we're, we're glad you're here. We invite you to come forward. Just put your arm across your chest, and Pastor Brian or I can offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the table. Let us... Those who are serving can come forward at this time.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink of faith. Let's stand together that we can respond to this table with prayer and with song. Jesus, our Lord, help us to cast aside our own pursuits of exaltation. Grant by your spirit that we may live as servants of our neighbor's bearing a genuine humility that trusts in your grace as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Please be seated. Uh, hello, um, I'm with the missions team and we'd like to, um, in the coming months, in the year to come, uh, invite our mission partners to get to know you and for you to get to know them. And so this Sunday we have Rob um, Glowke who works um, with Hockey Ministry International. And so he's gonna come share about his work and an event that you can be a part of. And after the service, there's some information about his ministry on the information table in the back. All right, before I forget my old age, I tend to forget stuff uh, <laughs> somewhat frequently. It's kind of scary. Before I forget to do it, I, I just want to thank everyone here for supporting us, uh, not only financially, uh, but also just the way you care for our family in the ministry work we do, Elizabeth and my three children, Mabel, George, and Otto. We really appreciate it. Uh, for those that don't know, I work for an organization called Hockey Ministries International, and our mission statement is to reach the world of hockey with the hope found in Jesus Christ. And really how that plays out in practice is we use the game of hockey to reach lost souls. And hockey is an awesome game. You guys should play it if you get a chance. It's a really fun game, uh, but it also has proved to be, in my experience, a really good vehicle to reach lost people, people that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And uh, way back in 2002, this is like way back in the time machine, uh, my agent at the time, uh, I was in college, I had an agent, you're not supposed to do that, but I, I guess I was breaking the rules. My agent at the time said, you should go and check out uh, this organization, Hockey Ministries International. They, they run these Christian hockey camps. And I was like, my mind was blown up. This doesn't, this can't be. There's no Christians in hockey. You can't combine hockey and Christianity. These barbarians that play on the ice. I've been in a lot of locker rooms, and those people definitely need to hear about Jesus. That's what I was thinking in my head. And I was like, I, I, don't, I don't believe you. So I went to Windsor uh, just to verify if this guy was telling me the truth. And I spent some time at my first hockey camp in Windsor, Ontario, and I was just uh, blown away. And, and again, just to give you some context, like if you want to play in different sports as you get older, there's rec league basketball, there's church softball leagues, there's running clubs. In hockey, 
maybe Alec, you might know this. What we call we call rec league hockey. We call it beer league. Okay, so the hockey world definitely needs to hear about Jesus. And I was blown away by that at that first hockey camp. And since 2002 till now, I've been a, a, a part of Hockey Ministries International. First as a volunteer, and then when I retired from hockey, I, I found I can't keep telling people I'm retired at 30 years old. So. I had to do something, and so I joined the ministry as a full-time staff member, and uh, since 2011, I've been doing full-time work with Hockey Ministries International. We reach the world of hockey through two main ways. Uh, the first is through our summer hockey camps. Um, these are really outreach camps, and we just got done with our last camp a couple weeks ago in Canada. They run all through this, the late spring and throughout the summer, and uh, these camps Really, we invite kids to sign up, and they come, and they not only get some good hockey instruction, or I don't know, maybe that you'd ask them, maybe it's not so good hockey instruction, but for sure they get to hear the gospel throughout the week, and we, and we train them in Christian living, as we like, like to say. So uh, since COVID, our camps are kind of back on track, and there's a waiting list at many of our camps, so that's uh, a thing, something that we are very thankful for. I like to share stories, so just to give you a little impact, or a little story of impact from what camps are like, this is an older story uh, from, from my time before COVID, but I always like to share it. It's about the Berger family. Uh, a 15-year-old boy uh, came to one of our camps, and uh, he didn't know anything about God, nothing. He just came, obviously, for the hockey, but throughout the week, he met Christ, and he liked magic. He was a very outgoing kid, and he took his outgoing nature back home and his love for Christ back home and next year he shows up at camp again he's, he's on fire for the Lord and he shows up at camp not just with himself but he brought his sister along and his sister didn't play hockey but she she would tell you today I, I saw the change in my brother and I was like I have to go check out this camp and so I had to figure out something to do I don't play hockey so she volunteered to be the photographer for the week at the camp so she came as the photographer along with her brother and uh, through the week, she also met Christ, and they both went back home on fire, and they had an, another older sister, and she's looking at her two siblings like, what? I don't get the change that these two people have. This is not the people that I, I used to know. Something has changed. A couple years later, she ended up coming to camp and checking things out, and over time, she ended up as a, as a counselor at one of our camps, so she came to know Christ through our camp, and finally, it took a, it took a few years, but the parents also came along and they became believers, all because one 15-year-old boy came to our summer camp. So those are the kinds of things uh, that happen at our summer camp. The, the second main thing that Hockey Ministries does is, is chapel. We call them chapels. Really, they're Bible studies with hockey teams. So the Blackhawks, the Chicago Wolves, college teams, even, even youth teams, we do Bible studies with throughout the year, every week or every other week. Um, and these are just a, a chance for us to, again, an outreach. A lot of the players that come to chapel and sit in, in chapel, guys like on the Blackhawks, they don't know. They couldn't tell you who David and Goliath are. They don't know who Adam and Eve are. But for whatever reason, they, they come to chapel because they're looking for something that they don't have in their, in their life. Um, uh, two years ago, I had a young gentleman in, in chapel. My very first chapel, I made a presentation to the team. It was a pro team. And just to kind of explain what chapel was, what we do, when we're going to meet. And after pra they practiced, and then after practice, I waited, and a few other regulars came. And, and this young man came, and he was new. I never, you know, never had him in chapel before. And so I asked him, like, oh, 
have you ever been to a chapel like in your past? You know, have you ever been to a Bible study? He's like, no, I, I've never been to church. I never go to anything like this. So I'm like, well, why did you come to chapel? And he's like, well, I just felt something inside of me like I needed to be here. And I was about to go into the Holy Spirit with him, but I thought it was too much too soon. So I just <laughs> let, I let it be. And over time, this just to see this young man grow and grow and his conversation changed and his the way he thought about things and the way he answered questions in our Bible studies changed. It was pretty cool to see. I only had him for one year, uh, but he ended up in Toronto the next year. And in Toronto, since COVID, it's been like Fort Knox. We haven't been able to get in to, to restart a Bible study there. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to text, I'm going to text Zach is his name and see maybe he can restart something. Maybe we can get the wheels turning. And it was, I knew in my head, I was like, this is a long shot. Zach's not going to be able to do it. But I texted him anyway. It was, Zach, we, we're having trouble getting something going in Toronto. Would you, you know, maybe want to try to get something going, talk to the coach? And I'm thinking in my head, he's not going to do it. And sure enough, he pulled through. He got some guys together in the room. They petitioned the coach. And next thing you know, there's some, tr some traction in Toronto over last season, which was amazing. But the cool thing about it was I texted Zach just to thank him, you know, Thank you for putting yourself out there and for doing that. And uh, he texted back, and I'll always remember this. He said, no problem. How could I not do that when the chapels have changed my life? So it's a, the, the ministry is a really cool ministry. And, again, I thank you for, for being a part of it and supporting myself, my wife Elizabeth, and, and what we do. And as Adonijah said, if you, if you want to know more about what we do in specific, there's information on the back table. There's a recent newsletter that you could grab and read, and if you want to be included on my mailings and whatnot, you can just let me know as well. I'll add you to the list, so thank you. Thanks, Rob. Uh, Roy, why don't you come up? Roy is part of the mission team. He's going to offer a prayer um, for HMI and for Rob. Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, we do uh, think of all the young people who are at the youth hockey camps this summer, and we pray for your working in their hearts even now to be thinking back on what they've been told and to open their Bibles and study them and to be turned to you and to even be good witnesses within their families and that they might prevail even on their parents to get them to a good Bible-preaching church on Sunday. And Lord, we think, too, of the new staff people uh, who started with HMI in recent weeks and pray for your working in them to uh, grow in grace and to work through them and Rob and all the other staff people to preach with power and the Holy Spirit and conviction and Lord that their efforts might bear much fruit, fruit that would remain and bring you much glory. And we also think of the, uh, uh, the fundraiser golf outing this next Friday and pray for uh, good weather for that and safe travel there and back for everyone involved. And, uh, Lord, we pray, too, that you'd put a burden on each of our hearts to remember Rob and the whole ministry of HMI and to pray about them regularly. And, uh, Lord, we'd ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Roy. Well, we're going to continue worshiping through the giving of our offering. Um, so the, the greeters are going to come forward and... Uh, uh, they'll have a, a gray basket that you can put your communion cup in and a silver offering plate if you'd like to give a gift, uh, like an offering to God in response to his generosity. You'll see information in your order if you'd like to do that through uh, online as well. Um, but 
Uh, welcome. Glad that we can gather for worship. If, if you're just joining us today for the first time, we're glad you're here and glad you can be part of it. There is a, a black information pad under the center, uh, the chair in the center aisle. If you're sitting there under that chair, I invite you to pick that up and fill it out and pass it down so you can know who you're worshiping with. And if you are uh, new to the church and like to share your information, um, Pastor Brian and I would love to follow up or just tell you more about LSBC. Uh, the last thing I'll, I'll mention is that uh, after the service, there's a time of coffee and bagels right outside the doors behind you. Uh, you might know the playground. I encourage you to stay after, a chance to get something to eat, the drink, and a chance to get to know each other uh, better. Uh, take this order with you, and there's lots of ways to get involved and connect over the next few weeks. I hope that, hope that you can do that. Let's continue uh, worshiping by giving our offering to God. Will you please stand with us for the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son.
reminder that there is a youth group today over at the Rockwell community space. I receive God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. You may go in peace.